Welcome to Crisket 42, the podcast that talks about life, the universe, and everything. Hang on, what's that you say? Crisket 42? What's all that about? Well, yes, in a sweeping change, and as voted for unanimously at the recent Desert Lair meeting of podcast stakeholders, it was decided to combine the podcast name with the YouTube channel name, hence Crisket 42. But to be honest, it just searches much better on Google. That's the number one search. If you put Crisket in and Crisket 42, you get the YouTube channel and this podcast. And I think all in all, it's just a little bit more personal to me as a whole. So don't forget to check out the latest content on the Crisket YouTube channel. The road to 200 subscribers is hurtling along like a DeLorean with dodgy suspension. More about that in a moment. This episode was originally intended to be about the halcyon days of children's TV, but that's going to have to wait a couple of days or so, as I wanted to talk about my recent trip to the UK, and in particular, the plethora of stage shows and gigs I managed to fit in during this trip. Now that everything is open again, it's such a wonderful place. Just a short episode, I reckon, but one worth talking about, I think. So let's go, and I think I've got this all in chronological order from the trip. Or maybe I haven't, who knows? Who cares? Let's get on with it, shall we? So yes, the first show on the trip was Come From Away. Now if you don't know what Come From Away is, it's a musical about the town of Gander in Newfoundland. 7,000 population, which doubled overnight on 9-11. As all aircraft in the vicinity, mostly over the Atlantic, were redirected to Gander Airport. Now this is a great show. It just bounces along. It's one act, only one act, but it can only be one act because you don't want to stop the momentum, the humour, the sadness, mixed with elation and human triumph in adversity. A real feel-good story, considering the quite sad topic. There's actually a documentary called You Are Here, which explains a lot of the backstory of Come From Away. I won't spoil it too much, but this was a great show. We saw it at the Phoenix Theatre on Charing Cross Road. Now this looks like a small theatre, but has a capacity of 1,012 people over three levels. Fortunately, I was in my usual stall seat with a great view, not too far from the action. Fortunately, I'm quite self-indulgent when it comes to theatre. I like to be in good seats. Although, I do like to get a good price for my seats, as you will find out as we go on. I did, however, pay full price for this one, surprisingly, as I booked it some time before and I really wanted to see the show. I was not disappointed. Great cast, great story. Check it out, come from away. Watch the documentary though if you can find it, called You Are Here. It explains the whole story. It's a real human story. People who met, actually married. People who became friends for life after this. And it is a really good story about the people of Gander, Newfoundland. As I said, I'm going to keep these short and sweet. And we'll move on, shall we? That's number one, come from away. What's next? Great Scott! Back to the future, the musical. Actually, going back one year, when I was locked down in London, I stayed opposite this theatre in an apartment there on the Strand. This is the Adelphi Theatre. And remember lots of posters advertising the show, a huge DeLorean painted on the side of the theatre doors, all sadly locked at the time. So how good it was to see the theatre open and vibrant again. This was the Adelphi Theatre. The theatre had been adorned with quotes of the movie on posters such as I've never seen purple underwear before Calvin, I'm your density, he's a peeping Tom, and where we are going, you don't need roads. You get the idea. The lobby had billboards such as Elect Mayor Goldie Wilson, Welcome to Hill Valley, Hog Heaven, and Salvation is Free, all taken from the movies. 
There was a lot of hidden Easter eggs if you want, in the lobby, even in a toilet area. There was a great oil painting of Lorraine Baines, hidden away in a wall near the toilets with a quote underneath. Marty, you do look familiar to me. Do I know your mother? Hmm, maybe you do. Even the carpet of the lobby was electric lightning bolt carpet, and the whole theatre was really electric, for want of a better word. The story itself kept faithful to the original, as much as a theatre could allow, but the guy who played Doc was exceptionally good. He was Doc, the Christopher Lloyd Doc, but with his own twist, so he wasn't just a copy of the man himself. In fact, Christopher Lloyd was heavily involved in the production of this show. Marty was Marty. He was a very good Marty, and could easily have been Michael J. Fox. But George McFly almost stole the show. He was even more George McFly than the original in my view. Throughout the show was prevalent Americana, some delightfully cheesy segues and musical numbers, particularly during the 50s scenes. It really was some good cheese in there, you can't beat it. Some good sing-along moments, and all the cast were excellent. If you like Back to the Future, go and see this. Even if you don't like Back to the Future, go and see this. It's a great stage show. The finale is also something else but I'll leave it at that without too many spoilers. I was impressed. I've seen a lot of things in theatres. This was impressive. So yes, go see Back to the Future the Musical. Great Scott! As I said, we're bouncing along nicely. So from the Adelphi Theatre, what was next? Well, this was a very different one. At the Ambassadors Theatre, again in London, I managed to get some very cheap tickets for this show, and it was a show, a very new show, that I wanted to see for some time. How can it be new if you wanted to see it for some time? I don't know, but I wanted to see it. It was called The Shark is Broken. This is based on the relationship of the cast during the 159 days of filming of the 1975 epic monster movie, Jaws. More about Jaws, see the episode entitled Of Monsters and Men. I think that's what I called it. But this three-man play is set on board the ship at the Orca in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, close to Martha's Vineyard, where the filming took place. The shark, or Bruce, as he is affectionately known to by the cast, had many issues during the filming of the movie, but they were compounded by the fact that Spielberg wanted to film in the authentic setting of Martha's Vineyard, or offshore Martha's Vineyard, rather than in a tank at Universal Studios. At the time, Spielberg was an upcoming director, and nobody believed that this movie would actually be the hit it was. The three protagonists of the show were a rumbunctious young upstart actor, verging on being neurotic, who wanted to conquer the world, a young Richard Dreyfus playing Hooper in the movie. There was also the tired, drunken, theatrical lovey, who'd obviously already been conquered by the world, Robert Shaw playing Quint. Interestingly enough, the guy who played Quint, or who played Robert Shaw, was Robert Shaw's son, Ian Shaw, who also co-wrote the show and co-produced it. There was also Chief Brody, played by an almost geek-like stoic pro that was Roy Scheider, or is Roy Scheider. I believe he's still alive, I'm sure he is. <laughs> it was such a good play though, and we had the perfect seats. Front row, right in front of the action, £20 a ticket. That is very cheap for West End Theatre. How did we get those? Well, the Criscuit 42 top tip is use the Today Ticks app. That's T-O-D-A-Y-T-I-X, a very good app to have indeed. And they give rush tickets. Now, rush tickets mean they're available at the day of the show, and you never know what you're going to get and occasionally you don't even know where you're going to sit. I just plugged in, the shark is broken, and up popped two seats, A3 and A4, on the front row of this. Let's take a chance. Being on the front row isn't always the thing it's cracked up to be. For this show, it was perfect. We were sat right in front of the action where the three men were sat on the orca. The show had no scene changes, not physical ones, but the player does manage to portray the sheer ennui of the whole shooting process 
with some excellent time-lapse simulation with scene changes. I don't mean physical scene changes, but it keeps pace with the relentless, occasionally dark and occasionally comedic dialogue of the trio by just freezing the frame from time to time. The actors move around and it becomes the next day, or later that day, or in a week's time. You get the idea. There were some very comedic scenes though, from the games of Shub Herpany to the hidden whiskey bottles of Robert Shaw, the drunk. Richard Dreyfus getting overexcited about taking over the world as a main actor and an Oscar winner. Roy Scheider was just plain old Roy Scheider. As I said, he was very geek-like, <laughs> full of interesting facts that nobody wanted to listen to. And Robert Shaw, he was just tired of the world entirely. Again, this is only a one-act show, but it does help with the pace, and it really does suck you into and onto the deck of the orca. In fact, you know what? I think we're going to need a bigger boat. I knew I'd get that in somewhere. One of my favourite lines, though, was a discussion between Dreyfus. Is it Dreyfus or Dreyfus? I can never remember. I'll stick with Dreyfus. It'll do for me. Discussion between him and Shaw. Dreyfus is looking for the true meaning of the movie. What is it about life? Is it some hidden meaning? What is this great story all about? What does the shark represent? To which Robert Shaw replied, It's a movie about a shark. Okay, let's move on, shall we? What was next? Well, I had a little trip up north to my hometown of Hartlepool. And I was at the Hartlepool Borough Hall, who were playing none other than the 90s band, are they 90s? Black Grape, formed from previous members of the Happy Mondays, who I did have the pleasure of seeing in the 90s. Or was that the 80s? Who knows? Who cares? Sean Ryder sling good form there. There were also some local bands on there as well. Now this could have been a good night. The local bands seemed very good. Black Grape actually seemed very good on stage. However, they were let down by terrible, terrible sound quality. Ironically, if you went to the toilet, the music sounded much better. Or the bar next door, the music sounded better. So, some good local bands, even some good music from Black Grape, but completely let down by the sound setup. A bit disappointing, but generally, it wasn't an expensive night out anyway. What else did I do? I said this would be a quick one. Oh yes, I had an evening with a certain explorer, Sir Ranulph Fiennes. Now this was a bit of an unexpected late ticket, went along to see him and this guy comes out and he has circumnavigated the world many times he's been on various adventures he actually fought in Oman but I did like his deadpan humour and really one of life's standout personas somebody who was rejected from normal society it seemed or maybe just didn't really belong there some very humorous stories about frostbite and cutting his own toes off wanting to kill fellow explorers and finding a lost city after seven years of looking for it after they'd camped out on top of it you get the idea. Rejected from public schools, rejected from the SAS. Ranulph Fiennes is definitely one of life's, I wouldn't say loners, one of those unique people, a standout person. And again, if you get a chance to read about him or even get to see the guy in person, he's now 74, I think. But he didn't use an auto cue. He didn't use notes. He was sharp as a tack and very funny. As I say, if you want some deadpan humour about some very strange boys' own adventures, go and see A Night with Ranulph Fiennes. Oh, Sir Ranulph Fiennes, indeed. Okay, what's next? What's next? We're moving very nicely. Well, then I headed back down to London, and I went to the Spice of Life. Now, the Spice of Life is one of my favourite pubs in London. Not so much the pub itself, as over the years it's been gentrified, and in fact touristified, if that's the right word. But as well as being a listed building, the Spice of Life also has an esteemed musical heritage. In the 1960s and the 1970s, the Scots House, or the Scots Hoose as it was called then, was a popular venue for folk musicians and saw many great acts of the time such as Bob Dylan, Paul Simon, Cat Stevens, Bert Jansch, The Straubs and Sandy Denny all performed there. The stage itself is actually downstairs in the basement and it's a really eclectic place to see live music. 
The first band we saw were the Apple Shakers. Now check them out. They're on YouTube, I'm sure. I'm not even sure if they're on Spotify, but definitely on YouTube. Apple Shakers. This was two guys, drumming a guitar, doesn't sound much, but they made a great sound, a very indie sound. They were young, but they gave everything in the performance and really, truly enjoyed their performance. The other two bands that came after them, which were headlining, to be honest, I can't even remember their names. They were pretty dire, and their sound setup was terrible again. But all of their friends who came along and obviously knew their music anyway seemed to enjoy it. A bit of a shame really, but if you knew them, I guess they were having fun anyway. But Apple Shakers were very good. But if you're ever in London, check out The Spice of Life. It's a really cool place to go, and lots of history there. It's right in the heart of Soho as well. In fact, if you went to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, it's right next door to the Palace Theatre. Is that the Palace Theatre? No, it's the Dominion Theatre. Oh dear, and I thought I knew the West End. Okay, what's next? Okay, we're going to Broadway in 1923 next. So next on the list, and back in London of course, was Indecent. Now Indecent is a play by Paula Vogel. It recounts the controversy surrounding the play God of Vengeance by Sholem Ash. And this was produced on Broadway in 1923, and for which the producer and cast were arrested and convicted on the grounds of obscenity. Now this is a pure masterpiece from start to finish. A great cast, but a very rather bittersweet tale. There are transitions between Yiddish and English language, which are remarkable and very clever. The cast must have had to stay on the ball for sure. This was at the Menier Chocolate Factory Theatre. The French company Menier Chocolate expanded overseas and built a five-storey factory and warehouse of brick with stone dressings in London between 1865 and 1874. It's actually a Grade 2 listed building, but in its current incarnation as a theatre it was opened in 2004. This was a great theatre, very very small, about 120 seats I would guess, maybe it's a bit more than that, but luckily the Criscuit 42 look was shining again, we got upgraded to some very nice seats, three rows back, a perfect view. Now this is not a show I would tell you much about because I wouldn't want to spoil it. It's something different. It's dark, it's comedy, it's light sometimes, it's harrowing other times. It's a very good story. The cast were immaculate. And again, this was a one act show. Quite a bit longer this time, about an hour and 45 minutes. But the musicians on the stage, the actors on the stage, were just constantly on the go and keeping the story moving. This is a must-see in my view. If you happen to be in London, or happen to be anywhere that Indecent is showing, make sure you go along and see it. You will not be disappointed. Okay? That doesn't really tell you much about it to be honest. I, I really wanted to try not to say too much because it would spoil it. But I highly recommend going to see Indecent. Okay, let's have something lighter next, shall we? Cinderella the new Andrew Lloyd Webber incarnation. Now earlier this year, I happened to be driving up towards Myrtle Beach to see a few friends up there, as one does, and I was listening to the soundtrack of this new version of Cinderella. I thought, I must go and see this. And again, I was not disappointed. This was in the Gillian Lynn Theatre in Covent Garden, a rather large theatre, and very carbuncle looking to quote Prince Charles from whenever he said that. It's a bit of a monstrosity, the theatre from the outside, but on the inside the set was immaculate, really good set, and also a bit of a rotating uh, seating arrangement, shall we say. I don't want to spoil that too much, but trust me, if you go to see Cinderella at the Gillian Lynn Theatre, sit in the first five rows, as we did. It's very good, and you will not be disappointed by what happens. Again, no spoilers. How about the show itself? Well, it was the story of Cinderella, Slightly different, shall we say, set after the ball, set after she'd met Prince Charming, 
and Prince Charming was no longer around. I won't explain why, I won't tell you why. But let's just say, this show was camp, camp, and double camp, right down my boulevard. It was so funny. It was just a nice piece of light entertainment. We went to the matinee show, and it was just very funny. It bounced along, some good musical numbers, the sets were amazing, the live orchestra were amazing, the cast were very good. It's Andrew Lloyd Webber at his best, it's what he does. It's nothing too dark, nothing too meaningful. In fact, it's quite fanciful and disposable in some respects. But a great show. If you want something rather than a pantomime, go and see this Cinderella. It's a good show. That's all I have to say. But it's very camp. Very, very camp. <laughs> okay, what was next? Another classic music venue. This time at the 100 Club in London on Oxford Street. Now this is a real piece of music history. The 100 Club, a rather small venue, situated on Oxford Street as I said, has hosted artists from Louis Armstrong to the Sex Pistols, Jerry Lee Lewis to the UK Subs, and from the Rolling Stones to Glenn Miller, that many diverse acts over the years. Who did we go to see? None other than Jesus Jones, the band from Avon who had most of their success in the late 80s and early 90s, and they were on great form, belting out all of their classics such as Info Freako, Right Here Right Now, Real, 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 do you feel real? Had to sing that one. And another song that automatically sings in your head if you know the tune, International Bright Young Thing. International Bright Young Thing. Yes, I know, I'm no Jesus Jones, but that's what we had all night. Great night out. And also a good mention before we went to this, we went to the restaurant Bodine's, which was basically lots of pig on a tray. It was a barbecue restaurant, but there was ribs, there was burnt ends, I think there was a little bit of chicken thrown in there as well. There was just so much pork, it was delicious. Oh, vegetables, I think there was a smattering of chips on the side, but not much. A perfect setup before the gig. So yes, another quick one there, Jesus Jones at the 100 Club. What's next? Well next, I headed back north. Yes, I headed north to the Lantern Theatre, originally called the Chalet Theatre, in Sheffield. Why was I there, you might ask, you'll find out in a second. But the Lantern Theatre is situated in the residential area of Nether Edge in Sheffield, England. It was originally the personal theatre of a local industrialist, however it fell into disrepair after his death. It was restored as a theatre in 1957 by Dillis Skeet. I hope I pronounced her name right, but it looks like Geet. The theatre was used almost exclusively by the Dillis Skeet players, who own the theatre still, and for the first 40 years they did that. But in the last 10 years, the theatre has been hired out by the players and is used by a number of groups, bands and companies. The theatre seating capacity makes it very special. It's only 84 seats, including a balcony area. And because it was built in 1893, it makes it Sheffield's oldest theatre. Now what did I go to see? I went to see the Big Neat Out. But this was based on the Big Neat Inn which was something to help entertain and keep it light during the COVID lockdowns. I actually watched the show in three different continents, Europe, America and Asia. In fact, check out the episode, The Prince of Denmark and the Crochet Kid of this podcast for more details. This was a one-off live delight, which is now potentially an annual event. The efforts from Scott Doonican and his partner Amanda to stage this was unbelievable. And also the amazing support from the Dooney fam, who attended the performance in all their tank top glory, pint and puppet t-shirts, and a plethora of puppets, easy for you to say, that had come along for the ride too. And what a ride it was. Shergar on the stylophone, Morris and Little Morris with the quiz, 
Tomato Watch that became Sunflower Watch. Barnsley Bob Ross appeared, and the Crochet Kid himself, accompanied by Percy and his Aunt Gloria McGlumfer, were on stage to name but a few. This was pure magic for me as a fan of the show, and everybody there wanted to be there. It felt like a family gathering at an eccentric relative's house rather than a gig. This was actually the first show in the theatre after lockdown. And actually, the staff also deserve a mention for getting the place ready and for looking after all the people who were there. It really was an amazing night out. Or was it a neat oot? I'm actually looking forward to seeing Scott perform with his band, the Bar Steward Sons of Valdunican, next month when I return to England, hopefully. So that was my quick jaunt to Sheffield. Then I was back down to London. Yes, there was a lot of up and downing. And what did I do? Of course, I went to a West End musicals brunch as soon as I left the train from Sheffield. I went to the Sway Club, and this was filled with hundreds of Prosecco-fueled ladies for the West End Musicals brunch. Now this is a brunch which offers free pour alcohol for an hour, Prosecco and some dodgy cocktails, but it was very nice, some fair food offering, burger and chips, and a nice chocolate cake afterwards, but the main attraction was the good singers and the dancers. These were all West End performers. There was actually a cat from Cats, and a witch from Wicked, actually it was Elphaba, and also Mary Poppins floating around the venue before it started. Although the cat was doing poses and dances, that might have been more at home in some of Soho's less salubrious venues, shall we say. But the event was great fun, and a great sing and dance along too. The male lead and the female lead who were there were absolutely fantastic singers, and they did some favourites from the musicals. But they encouraged everybody to get to the dance floor, even dance on the furniture, it didn't matter. It was a very rumbunctious afternoon out, shall we say. I think I've used that word twice in this episode. Hey-ho. But what did this prompt? Of course, a last-minute trip to one of my favourite shows of the whole trip. Although actually none of them disappointed. Every show was different for its own reason. And good for its own reason. But we ended up at the Arts Theatre, over near Leicester Square, for Choir of Man. Again, some last-minute tickets for £18 on the front row. And again, a perfect place to be for this show. The best way to describe the Choir of Man is a pub with men in. Ordinary guys performing everything from sing-along classics to classic rock. And the whole stage area is transformed into the pub, complete with bar. Now what happens when you enter the theatre half an hour before the show? They invite the audience onto the stage for a pint with the cast. Amazing. We went up on there, had a couple of beers, chatted to the cast, and they weren't being in character, they were just being themselves. And it really did give a really good feel to the whole of the theatre. Lots of people up on stage enjoying a pint. And even during the show, they were handing out crisps, bar snacks of course, and handing out beers. And if you were on the front row, you got a couple. What an amazing night. Just imagine the greatest pub gig you've ever been to. Multiply it by 10, and you'll still be nowhere near the fun that this show exudes throughout. It features pub tunes, folk, rock, choral, and Broadway numbers. A bit of something for everyone, for sure. We left this one-act show again. It must be becoming a new trend for shows to have one act. But we left walking on air. We'd had a great day. We'd sang along in the afternoon. We sang along at the theatre on the evening. A great day's entertainment. Again, nothing too deep and meaningful, but great entertainment. And that's all we were looking for. I think that only leaves one more show. Or no, it leaves two. So I won't let it go just yet, if you know what I mean. Next on the list, still in London, was Public Service Broadcasting at Brixton Academy. The London-based music group presented tracks from their new album, Bright Things, with a sprinkling of their classics throughout for good measure. Tracks such as Go, Spitfire, Sputnik, Everest and the like. If you don't know who Public Service Broadcasting is, check them out because they're worth a listen. Well, at least I like them. But if you know who they are, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And it was great to be back at Brixton, such an eclectic area of London, and the Academy is one of my favourite venues in the world. 
which actually had now some very nice ventilation flowing through it. Brixton Academy was originally known as the Astoria Variety Cinema, and previously known as the Carling Academy Brixton, but it's currently named the O2 Academy Brixton as part of a sponsorship deal with the O2 brand. Now it's a mid-sized concert venue located in South London, in the district of Brixton of course, but it has a capacity of 4,921. But it feels like you're outdoors when you're indoors, it's just one of those venues I really enjoy going there. It actually opened as a cinema in 1929, and was converted into a discotheque, great old word from the 70s, in 1972, but was reborn as the concert hall it is now in 1983. It's actually owned by the Academy Music Group and has become one of London's leading music venues, hosting over 50 live albums and winning the NME, New Musical Express, best venue 12 times since 1994. It has been home to several notable performances including The Smith's Last Gig, December 1986, Leftfield's June 1996 concert, which set a decibel record for a live gig at 137 decibels. There was a Madonna gig in 2000, which was watched by an online audience of 9 million. And YouTube phenomenon Baby Metal, whose 2014 performance drew a crowd of 25,000 plus. But even the area of Brixton, it's just one of those places that exudes character. If you're ever in London, highly recommend going to the Brixton Academy. If you are ever somewhere that public service broadcasting are playing, I highly recommend going to see them as well. Great evening, great concert, and easy access to the tube home late at night. At least I made it home late at night that night, because inevitably most of the other times I ended up somewhere else after a concert. I think in particular was the Jesus Jones concert where I just happened to be walking past Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club as the night session was opening. Well, it would be wrong not to go in. Four hours later, I fell out of there, full of cocktails and into a black cab, heading back to the hotel. But that's a story for another day. Now last, but not least, I was at the Drury Lane Theatre Royal. Now the last time I was here was for Lord of the Rings. I'm sure I've told this story, but I'll tell it again, why not? But I remember being in London a couple of days before I was flying to Qatar, I believe it was, to work. And I was in a music shop, picking up some music as one does. And in front of me, there was a nice young lady who had a copy of the CD of Lord of the Rings, the musical. I said, oh, is that a good show? Obviously, I can't help myself but to talk to somebody. She said, well, actually, yes, it's a very good show because I'm in it. I'm Galadriel. Well, there you go. Fantastic. Well, that's amazing. Why are you buying the disc? Well, the show is sadly closing next week. Oh, that's a shame because I was looking forward to seeing it. And sadly, in two days time, I'm leaving for Qatar. Oh, that's a shame, she said. You should try and see it. Are you free tomorrow night? Why, yes, I am. Well, I'll leave you a cast ticket at the box office for you to pick up tomorrow. Give me your number and it will all be arranged. Oh, my goodness, thank you very much. Next day, turns up the Drury Lane Theatre Royal. There's a very nice ticket right in the middle of the Royal Circle, front row. Fan-dabby-tastic, thank you very much. And that was an amazing spectacle. The whole show really brought the theatre to life. What was I going to see, though, this time? It was Frozen. I bought these tickets almost two years ago, finally got to see it. And Frozen, well, Frozen was Frozen. It gave you everything a Frozen fan could want, but I think I expected a little bit more. Great entertainment, do not get me wrong, but just a one and done for me. It was Frozen from start to finish, but I think the effects I'd seen in the same theatre for Lord of the Rings, I thought they could have done a bit more with Frozen. There was some very, very good effects, don't get me wrong. Maybe I'm just a theatre snob, who knows. But the star of the show for me was, or maybe Olaf of course, he's always a star, but for me it was probably the wandering Orkin's trading post guy, Orkin himself, and the sauna scene, which Orkin himself really stole, shall we say. 
He was a genuinely funny guy. Very, very good. So the show was good. As I said, I maybe he's poo-pooing it a little bit, but I did enjoy Frozen. But it was Frozen. What more do you need, I guess? And that was it. That was my last show of the trip to the UK. Around London, Hartlepool, Sheffield, back to London. But it was a great time. It was actually nice to catch up with some old friends and family up north and see some new friends in Sheffield. And even wandering around some of my old haunts in London. Always a treat. And visited some new places too. Where else did I visit? Actually, yeah, we did St Paul's. Did a tour of St Paul's Cathedral, which was well worth it if you get a chance to do that. And actually, another highlight for me was a trip to the Houses of Parliament. Somewhere I'd always wanted to go, but it's always too full because of tourists. But at the moment, there's not many tourists, and you can get tickets. And again, that was a place that really didn't disappoint. I stood in both houses, the Commons and the Lords, on my own, which was quite a surreal feeling, really. Maybe I'll talk about that another day. We can have a whole episode on politics. No, we're not. We're not going down the politics route. Ever, ever, ever on this podcast. Maybe I'll talk about the building, though. The Palace of Westminster. Great building. Okay, we're starting to go off on a tangent. And I think this has been a nice little quickie podcast all about theatre and shows I saw in London. I promise I will do the children's TV show next. And what comes after that? Of course, it's December. The Christmas special. That's what will be coming soon. It's ready. I just need to record it. I just need to pull my finger out. And let it go, let it go. No, we're not going to let it go just yet. Okay, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Chris Kidd. C-H-R-I-S-C-U-I-T. And I'll see you later. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now. dogs. <laughs>